whether or not you're intentional. When people think of you, they think of something and you can either take control over that narrative or it's left to default. Whether or not you've defined it, your brand exists and consumer expectations are radically shifting. How are you showing up? Our clients are not just comparing us to other law firms, they are comparing us to their consumer experiences across a broad range of services. And if they can get a pizza by pressing a button in five minutes, you know, and then you want them to come in and sign a document with their blood and sweat and tears 25 miles away, you're losing people. According to a recent survey, only 19% of managing partners in U.S. law firms are female. We would like to see that change. Hello, and welcome to Law Her, the show where we celebrate the trailblazing attorneys and entrepreneurs who are changing the game for women in the legal field. Be inspired by their stories, learn from their mistakes, and look forward to the future they're helping build for the next generation of women in law. I am Sonia Palmer, your host and VP of Operations at Rankings, the SEO agency of choice for personal injury lawyers. This is Law Her. In 2018, only 1% of women-owned businesses broke a million dollars in revenue. Today's guest is that 1%. Meet Jennifer Gore, owner of Atlanta Personal Injury Law Group. Her firm, one of the fastest growing in America, boasts four offices across Georgia, is ranked 10 best in client satisfaction from American Institute of Personal Injury Attorneys, and holds AVO's Client Choice Award. Today, Jennifer offers wisdom on building a personal brand and opening yourself to opportunities to how she built her firm with a newborn. Prior to law school, Jennifer heard how challenging it could be, but she did not let the stories deter her ambition. Let's dive in. I really did have to buckle down in law school. For me, like high school and college, I don't feel like I put 100% in. I was I've talked about this in the past, but I've like worked a lot. I always worked in high school. I worked in college. So in law school, I was kind of going into it thinking like, I'm not, I'm going to have to like really put up, put my all in on this one because, you know, there's less people who go to law school and it's more competitive. And so I, I went in being very serious. And then when I got in there, my particular law school experience was probably different than some other students because I went to a night law school and, you know, my school was very strict on attendance. So I have a lot of friends that went to law school and they just had to show up for the exam. My school was like, if you miss this many classes, you're out. So it wasn't like a walk in the park, but I was just very committed and and very like I'm here, I'm serious, and I'm gonna get the, get every single thing I can out of this experience and graduate and feel like I didn't leave any experiences on the table. So I personally gave myself that experience in law school because I took it very seriously and I was clear from day one that I wanted to own a law firm. You sort of set your own expectations. Because you did it at night, a little bit like not traditional, did you feel like you had a support group? Were there any mentors that you had? So I was originally accepted into the day program, but they told me I couldn't work. So (laughs) that's why I switched into the night program. And what I loved about the night program is those people were very serious because they're professionals. They are working, they are working in law firms, they're working in other industries. And 
they're very mature. And so I had so many friends, lifelong friends that I still keep in touch with from that program. And I think no matter what law class you're in, you bond with those students because it's a very bonding experience. So did I have mentors? I developed mentors through working. I was a mentor to other law students throughout their time. You know, as you go up, you can volunteer to be a mentor. And I had people kind of who were, who helped me along the way, but you know, you have to constantly find and evolve and create new mentors. Yes. Sometimes when you're a a mentor or a leader, you learn more lessons by teaching others than get passed down to you from other mentors. Do you have any lessons that you can think of either that you learned from being a mentor or that someone kind of instilled in you? So I think you should find mentors as people that have the results that you're looking to get. And that will change all throughout your lifetime as your goals evolve and what you're trying to do. So In law school, I tried to find people who were having success in law school and ask them questions. And I tried to find lawyers that were having success and ask them questions. So I would just say find people that are emulating what you're looking to achieve. And I've never had somebody say to me they wouldn't help me if I was bold enough to go ask for their help. Yes. It's very flattering when someone says, oh my gosh, I look up to you. I want to have the results you have. Can you help me? It's very rare that someone would say no. I think that's that's good insight because I think it's very true. Like like how often really, if someone comes to you sincerely and is like, I could really use your help, they're going to be like, no. <laughs> so I think that's good insight. So you sort of went all in on law school and you made it really easy for people to recommend opportunities for you. Can you explain sort of like what that means and how you do it? So I think it kind of goes back to thinking of yourself as a brand. And when people are thinking of an internship or an opportunity to go work in a law firm, you want to be the person that is an easy recommendation. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, she's reliable. She's responsible. She's going to show up. She's going to she's going to do the work you know, you can position yourself through branding yourself in in your reputation and how you present yourself in a lot of different varieties to be somebody who is a great recommendation for people to make. And I think if you're that strategic, it's pretty simple. It's pretty easy to start getting a lot of opportunities coming your way. Not only you got to be bold enough to ask, hey, if you hear of an internship, if you hear of an externship, if you hear of a job, I'm looking you have to be responsive. If somebody sends some opportunity or referral your way and then you don't reply or you you know, ignore, then they're going to say, well, is that going to be what they do when I send an opportunity to them or a client that needs help? Like 90% of people aren't thinking like that. So if you're like in the 10% that do, how can you not win? Yeah, I agree with you. The things that you mentioned are not complicated to do. Be reliable, be dependable, be responsive. And they're super important. And are there any other sort of actionable items that you can think of that would help grant opportunities? I really go back to this a lot, but being bold. Mm. Like I think people need to voice, this is what I'm looking to do. 
this is the opportunity I'm looking for. And you need to either go knock on the door of the person who has that and ask if they will help you, or you need to put the word on the street. And I think so many people are like hesitant to put it out there or they're afraid they're going to be judged or they feel insecure. But I think you have to be bold and asking the universe and the world for what you want. And you'll be so shocked that it will happen. Like when I started my law firm, I immediately started asking everyone to send me their personal injury referrals. The power of speaking for what you want and putting it out in the universe, it really works. Developing a personal brand early on was really important to you. Did that come intuitively or did you have like a spark of inspiration? It kind of just came intuitively. When I was in law school, I was involved in the student government and I was like the treasurer and then I was the student body president. And I kind of had to, you know, run on a campaign and create a Mm -hmm. brand to do that. So, but I was always thinking like when I graduate and I open my own law firm, what is my brand going to be? And I would always tell people like, I'm going to own a personal injury law firm. So I was always thinking of myself in terms of those things and talking about it. So I think the mistake you see a lot of people is that they're kind of all over the place with their brand and the human mind needs to be able to like, where do I place you? Like what referral box do I put you in? And that can be complicated because we're all multidimensional. Yeah. I think it's important to accurately depict who you are, but people get caught up in making sure that they're marketing to the specific demographic that they want. And those lines can get blurry. So I think you're, I think it has to accurately depict who you are and emphasize that. Do you feel like it's ever too early for a lawyer to develop a personal brand? Like, do you need to wait until you're a partner or anything like that? Absolutely not. Because the reality is, is a brand around you exists, whether or not you're intentional, whether or not you've defined it. When people think of you, they think of something and you can either take control over that image, that the narrative, or you can just say, I don't have a personal brand and it's left to default. So we see that across the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. You mentioned several female business owners and people out there that are doing a lot of different things and they have very clear personal brands that were not just created out of happenstance. What are some of the key elements in a successful self-branding? You know, I, I really can't speak to anyone else's other than what I've done with myself, but I think it needs to ring true to you. It's kind of like when you develop a law firm, what do you stand for? What inspires you? What are the words people would use to describe you and your brand and and what's important to you? You are attorney and founder of Atlanta Personal Injury Law Group, as well as a business coach for women entrepreneurs. Can you walk us down the path that you took and how you knew it was time to open your own firm? So I actually opened the firm the day I got my license. Nice. (laughs) Bold. Yeah. We use the word bold again, but you have to remember, like, I don't find any of these things to be bold. This is just like, this is what I'm doing. So I failed the bar the first time and I was like three months pregnant with my daughter and I failed the bar and I found out when I was like five months pregnant and I was devastated and I failed it by like very, like one point or something. Mm. 
And so then I had to take the bar again, like immediately. And so I had to take it when I was nine months pregnant. And so that was a very do or die situation for me because I was like, I can't do this again with a infant, you know? So I passed it that time. And so the moment I got my license, I was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm opening this law firm. And so she was like two months old when I started the firm. Wow. But I felt like I had gone through so much that I was just ready to get the firm going. Get it going. That's a lot. Did you have any fears? I mean, of course, around opening a firm with a two-month-old, a quick turnaround time. What were some of your fears? How did you overcome them? You know, like when I think back to that time, I didn't have like a lot of fears. Like I felt like I graduated law school. I got my license, like all the hard stuff was fine. (laughs) (laughs) Like this is now what I'm meant to do is own a law firm. I was working as a personal injury paralegal for like three years through law school. So I was very confident that I could either do the work or I could figure out how to do the work. And I think a lot of people think I need to know every single thing before I start a law firm, but no, you need to know how to figure out or find the contact or the person that can help you. I still learn things every single day, but I do rely on my ability to figure things out. I think resourcefulness is a very undervalued quality in people. It's such an important, how resourceful are you? I am hella resourceful. Same. <laughs> you yeah. give me enough time, I will find someone that will figure that problem out. Yes. And especially today when you have so much access to information on your phone, like you can literally just Google something and gain access to what you need. YouTube videos, mentors, it's easier than ever to develop networks. So I think that resourcefulness is very undervalued. And yes, I you might not know, but that's okay. Figure it out. Yeah. And I think my experiences as a personal injury paralegal, I remember being like super frustrated when I worked at that firm for a while because there was like lots of things and ideas and things I wanted to do. And I didn't have the ability to do it because it was not my firm. So And my boss at the time, there's nothing wrong, but it's like she had her own ideas and they maybe weren't completely aligned as to things I wanted to do. So I felt like this is so exciting now. I get to have my own law firm and my own point of view and my own way to handle the cases. Obviously, some of that was very naive because I do think a lot of employees working in a business think, oh, it's going to be so wonderful and glamorous when I own my own firm. And there are harsh realities that you just don't realize until you own your own firm. Yes, very true. When you're the one that's sort of responsible for everything. You had mentioned that you asked for referrals early on. What were some other measures you took to secure cases the first few years? I started just going to tons of events and thinking about who would be someone who would be in a network of people that would be people I need to represent. So I started getting involved with the medical community because I'm thinking these people are interacting with injured people. And I started just going and hitting the pavement and talking to doctors and chiropractors and people that I knew already had connection to the people I wanted to serve. What strategic hires early on? Who were some of the first people you added? 
So when I first started the law firm, I, uh, I had this like thing where I was like, I always thought it was better to appear larger than you were. (laughs) I immediately like hired a virtual receptionist because I was like, I cannot be answering the phone. Like, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm just here. I'm also. Yeah. Let me connect you to her. <laughs> like different voices. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then I had immediately hired an intern from my law school who was a law student. So after like experiencing having an employee, I was like, oh my gosh, I need more. I need more people. But I think it's that first getting over the commitment of hiring someone that holds a lot of people back. Mm. And the reality is, when you're first hiring, you're thinking, oh my God, I'm going to have to have their entire salary in my bank account to hire them. And that's just not true. Realistically, you need about 12 weeks of their salary until they start helping you make more money. And when you start thinking of it like that, you know, it's a lot easier to make hires. Yes. Very, very true. And then did you have a tipping point where you're sort of like, okay, we're doing really well. (laughs) Uh, And is there ever a point where you feel like a firm has grown too much? Can you hit sort of like a limit? I always feel like there's room to improve our firm. I can look back at moments when I'm like, I was really proud of the firm. Like when we moved into this building in the pandemic, I started to be like, this was more like what I was imagining when I was envisioning my law firm, you know, and I really like our space is so like uplifting and inspiring to be in. And, you know, I love coming here, but in my mind, when I walk in most days, I see the vision that lives in my mind of what, and I'm like, where are the 40 other people that are supposed to be here right now? (laughs) And so I think that's just a common thing for a lot of people that have really big visions as you live in your vision and you're like always disappointed at where you are right now. (laughs) I like the process and I like the journey of it. I love the person you get to become along Mm -hmm. the way, like the leader you have to become, all the lessons and the personal development you have to go through to like unlock the next level. I completely agree, especially with leadership, because when, you know, there are people who are are brand new to leadership and then those that have been doing it for decades. And I don't think there's a lot of resources for those people that are learning, (laughs) that have started doing it. They're in those places, they're learning, but they still have a long way to go. The process is painful sometimes. Very. You need to be real. Like there has been times that owning a law firm has like been devastating. There's been times where people quit unexpectedly that I did not foresee coming and I walk in and I get noticed that they quit and it's like earth shattering. There's times when we've been fired off a multi-million dollar case. Mm. And there's times when, you know, you have to make really hard decisions because you see stuff that other people just can't see from their vantage point because there's not everyone in the whole law firm has access to the same information. Yes. You know, there's a lot of gut-wrenching decisions you have to make to continue growing a sustainable, growing law firm. And I sometimes just wish that there was more conversations about that stuff. Even though your vision has not been fulfilled 
you have definitely experienced significant growth from 2018 to 2020. You were listed as one of the fastest growing law firms in the country during the pandemic. Was it your intention to be one of the fastest growing firms? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but we like caveat this with the average law firm in the United States is growing at like less than 10% annual. Yeah. So like, I don't know whether I'm really like a star or we're just like measuring <laughs> against a very slow moving industry because I mean, a lot of what we've done to grow has been out of absolute necessity. Mm. For example, this gives give you an example. You know, we have an intake team. We have wonderful, lovely people that work on our intake team. And when we were smaller, we only had one intake person. Can you imagine how many hours they had to work to cover all the shifts of a 24 hour, seven day a week business where you get calls all throughout the day? So I kept telling everyone, we are not going to be able to keep intake people if we only have one intake person. And we were seeing that, you know, people would get burned out. So I was like, what would it take for us to support three or four intake people? And a lot of why we've wanted to grow is just because we can create better jobs for people and we can create more sustainability in the law firm when the number of the person in that department is not one. You know, you see so many law firms where they have one person doing one thing and one person doing another thing, and then they lose that person and the law firm implodes. Yes. What other sort of like systems and processes did you put in place to help kind of scale and keep up with the growth? Well, you know, at one point we only had one pod and then you would get a client and we're unhappy. Maybe, you know, not everyone's a fit for everyone. So I'm like, I can't own a law firm that has one option. You know, we need, need multiple different options for our clients, you know? And so we have intake software, we have case management software, we have ways to text our clients, we have ways to have them sign digital documents. We use a lot of technology mm -hmm. because that's the way the world is going. I think that probably does play a role in being able to grow so rapidly is the adoption of technology, where I do think that sort of traditional law firms might be hesitant to do that and kind of change things up. I mean, our clients are not just comparing us to other law firms. They are comparing us to their consumer experiences across a broad range of services. And if they can get a pizza by pressing a button in five minutes, you know, and then you want them to come in and sign a document with their blood and sweat and tears 25 miles away, you're losing people. That is an excellent point, one that I hadn't really connected. But yes, they have so many other industries have made things so simple that can be done on a phone or a computer that, yeah, if you're asking someone to physically come into to find a place and drive to it <laughs> and physically sign a paper, that's asking a lot of someone. So I think you're I think that's a good connection. Yeah. Yeah. Expectations are radically shifting. And if you don't stay aware of that, you will become obsolete. Yes. If you had to do it all over again, where would you have invested more time and energy to kind of get to your goals sooner? I would have hired 
different mentors at earlier stages. I don't know if that's possible because I think sometimes what's in your awareness is what's in your awareness. But I do think sometimes you outgrow mentors and you stay too long and you, you don't realize that there is something else waiting for you that to go to the next level. If you will just leave, I wish that I had hired faster. Even there was times I feel like I hesitated hiring and I should have just hired. I feel like in our current environment, we're kind of taking the position to almost overstaff because challenging the hiring environment is and people have a lot of stuff going on in their personal lives. So even if they love working for you, this just happened to us maybe two weeks ago. They're like, I love working here, but my personal life is having so many issues that I have to move. We have to almost take a offensive position and hiring at this point. I wish that I had fired other people faster that should have been fired that I was too hopeful about. (laughs) And we all know when we have people that they need to go, but we're like holding on to their potential in our mind. Yes. It's really hard. I, uh, you know, I wish I had done all those things more efficiently, faster, I wish I had understood how to finance a personal injury law firm in a more advanced level. Mm -hmm. I think financing is another topic. You see a lot of people struggling. How do you finance cases for 12 to 18 months? You know, and I'm not just saying taking loans, I'm saying strategically build your budget around the idea that you are financing cases. Yeah. And just knowing like where the money is coming from, where the money is going good bookkeeping. I wish that I had had the kind of financial controls that I have now and the financial forecasting I have now four or five years ago, Mm. because that gives me a lot of clarity. Mm -hmm. I liked what you said about mentors. I think that it's natural. It makes sense to move on from a mentor because kind of your job as a leader or as a mentor is that eventually that person will not need you as much. The student becomes the teacher at some point. If you have a mentor that never sees you becoming their equal, that can become a problem. Yes. Yes. Yeah. My job as a leader is to make my team as good as I am (laughs) to grow them. So I think it makes perfect sense that naturally people would move on from mentors. This kind of coincides with that too. I wish that I had hired smarter people than me sooner when I was even younger, because I do feel like there was a time where I was struggling with like hiring someone much older than me when I was eight, you know? And I see that with a lot of young women, it's like, they're comfortable managing somebody younger than them. They like struggle almost like an imposter syndrome or something with like managing someone much older than them. Yeah, I think you're on to something there. And it might even be as simple as like relatability, finding common ground. But I think you're on to something there. And and pulling from a vast amount of experiences is definitely in your best interest. That is something when you have a great employee, like I had uh, an amazing employee and she's still with me. And she saw me as the person I was. She didn't see me as for my age and just write me off and say, oh, you're only 28. What do you know? And when she saw me that way and treated me that way, it changed my experience. And I realized like, yeah, like I, I am the boss. I'm taking all the risks. I deserve the respect.
Taking all that she has learned over the years, Jennifer wants to help others do the same. She explains how she got started as a business coach for women. What started happening was a lot of, you know, people started asking me to help them here and there. And, you know, I'm so passionate about business and having more women owning companies and growing multi-million dollar companies. There was a statistic from the 2018 American Express report, which basically said that the number of women owned businesses in the United States that had revenue of a hundred thousand or less, guess the percentage. I'm afraid to. A <laughs> hundred thousand or less is the category. What do you think the, the percentage is? 80%. 80%? A hundred K or less. A hundred K or less. Okay. And then there was a, there was another statistic that said the the percent of, of businesses that are owned by women, this is in 2018, that do a million dollars or more. Yes, that's where the low, 11. It's 1.7. Oh. <laughs> so 1% of women own businesses that are doing more than a million. Correct. Wow. And that includes lawyers. That includes all business. That's every type of business. But... I really found that number so like hard to wrap my mind around because I own a law firm that's a multi-million dollar law firm. So then I'm like, okay, I'm in a 1%. Actually, I'm probably in that half percent because they're just saying minimum of a million. And then I'm thinking to myself, how many employees can you employ with a million dollars of revenue? It's, it's not a lot. No. I mean, what can you do with a hundred K? You know, these are really just kind of like side hustles. Yeah. And they're not sustainable, meaning you can't go off grid and have a three month maternity leave. Like I did because there's no one there to run the law firm when you're gone. So I started thinking about what kind of experience are these women giving themselves in owning a business, quote unquote, if you don't own a, a business that has employees, and they said the average number of employees that these women's businesses had was like half of an employee. That experience, like the experience of like doing everything all on your own and having no support and no leadership. And that is a very like draining experience. And as a business owner, as a lawyer, you do that for a period of time till you can get the leverage to start hiring people. But that level is like unsustainable to do for years and years and years. I come across a ton of statistics, but that one is jarring to me. And like you said, that's a side hustle. That's not necessarily a business. And yes, that it is not sustainable. Yeah. So what would our country look like? What would a lot of things look like if there was more women that owned multi-million dollar companies, let alone multi-million dollar law firms? Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? What are some of the struggles that these women are facing? I think that it comes a lot down to domestic support. I think that's where you see a lot of, because if you look at the data, a lot of it says that women really disappear from the business ownership side during those childbearing years. There was more women that owned companies in their forties. And so I do think that 
domestic support is a huge thing, but you can figure it out. I mean, I've figured it out. I have three kids, so um, it's not impossible. And you need to think of your business as your business works for you mm-hmm. and it's there to support the clients, but also you as an owner and give you the lifestyle that you're wanting. So, you know, when you're having kids, you can take time to yourself. If you've built out the firm that it can, you know, work without you. I mean, all of these things are possible. That's a good take. Cause I, I do think that a lot of women in business and they do try to do it all themselves and keep the flexibility a lot of times because it allows them to be a part of home raising their kids when really what you just said would grant them that (laughs) grow the business and then you can pull back you know when I was gone for three months off grid I mean off grid completely off grid They sent me reports and I had key reports that we developed for months and months before I went off grid. And we did a trial run before I went off grid. I went off grid for one week and we saw everything that broke. And then I had to fix all the things that I was too overly involved with, which to be honest, shouldn't have just been done by me anyway. A lot of them had to do with the the banking and the financials. Mm -hmm. We created all these checks and balances and ways that I could have oversight and, and feel comfortable And when I was off, I would get reports and they would have like key things. And I would know everything is fine as long as these numbers are green. That's what an entrepreneur does versus like, I'm going to have a really small business so that I don't ever have to like have the stress of having to have payroll. You know, I think that's how women stay small. Mm -hmm. Well, you talk about delegation. I think the like trial off grid was super smart. Go, okay, stuff's going to break. You own a business, right? It broke. What are we going to do about it? Okay. We're going to plug these people in here to fix it versus a lot of smaller businesses where they're doing the work, accounting, marketing, they're trying to do all of it. So it all breaks when they step away. Yeah. And I also like, don't like to go on vacation and be working. So I like to, when I'm on vacation, I mean, I can check my emails here and there, but I'm not going to be like full-blown working. And I see that pervasively in the legal field that people are on vacation, but they're completely working. And so once you start setting those boundaries and saying, this is what my business has to provide for it to be successful, I have to be able to take a vacation and not be working. So what would that look like? Who needs to be in place there? And the maternity leave thing was because I hired a CFO. And I had said to the CFO, this is my goal. I'm having a baby. I want this. And then we engineered it. So you need to have people in your life, mentors, as the CFO was kind of like a coach at that time, people that will expand your mind and say, this is possible. Mm-hmm. It's not a surprise listening to sort of how you've set your business up that you guys have been as successful as you are. So I'm a systems and processes person. So to hear this is very exciting to me. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm going to tell you another crazy thing, like just going off that grid and leaving and seeing that they hit all the numbers that they were hitting when I was there. I'm like saying to myself, what was I doing there? <laughs> A good job. <laughs> but like, I was also realizing that they were getting stuff done that I thought I needed to step in on. Mm-hmm. And if I just let them handle it, they would get to it. Maybe they couldn't get, 
stamp out that fire in 30 seconds, but they could do it by the end of the day. And I was overly involved in things. And that's my constant area to work on is to let them do their jobs and not overstep. Yes. And I see a lot of women struggling with that, but also, you know, I have a lot of help. I have a nanny. Actually, I have two nannies right now because you need backups. I have a housekeeper. I have a personal assistant. I have a personal trainer. There is a lot of people, when you see a woman owning a multi-million dollar company, let's just debunk the myth that they are doing it all. No. There's a cast of people that are amazing that are helping that person do only the things they want to do. Yes, I fully subscribe to that. Put in place whatever is going to make you a better business owner, a better parent, whatever it is. I think that's the smartest thing to do. And like, it's not overnight. Like, it's not like you get all those people overnight. It's like over years, you're like, okay, I need this extra support. I need this. I started off with a part-time assistant. And then I was like, oh my God, there's 40 hours of work for this person. (laughs) Just managing a household. I think women get stuck doing a ton of that stuff, like processing all your personal home mail. There's a book by Eve. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called Fair Play. It's a life-changing book. It's basically about all the work that goes into the domestic home, whether you're married, have children or whatever. And if, if you're sharing a household with a partner, how many cards, if you were to lay out all the cards on the table of what it takes to run a household, how many cards are women carrying versus men? And it's usually like 80 to 20. I believe it. I'm going to get that. You basically need to reevaluate and see either we got to rebalance these cards and my partner needs to step up, which I have a very supportive partner, or we need to hire someone to offload who's going to do all the target returns because I don't feel like doing it after I've been in work all day and I'm very busy and I'm wanting to relax. Well, and when you are a CEO, is target returns a good use of your time? Horrible, horrible use of your time. Terrible. (laughs) But we all know there are people that are, have so much potential and are brilliant that are stuck doing these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, if you enjoy target returns, by all means, you know, but I think, yes, when you're, yeah. I like going to target here and there, but who likes target returns? No one. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe someone. But yeah, I think when you own a business, like your time is money. If you're not spending your time on the business, you know, and then, or on yourself, spending time with your family, taking care of yourself, it's costing you in the long run where you think you might be saving, you're not. It's just being intentional with only have 24 hours. And if you can make a lot more money than it costs to hire someone to do your personal errands, and you hate doing your personal errands. What are you doing? You know, when you have kids, there's so much that's involved with all of their school stuff. I mean, she has an entire almost like job just keeping up with all the school documents and things and registrations. And and you have three, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like if I didn't have her, my anxiety would be, and I'm not an anxious person, but I would have so much anxiety about the mountain of work mounting up at home 
versus when I come home from work, I get an end of the day report from her on everything she's done. She's handled my dry cleaning. She's picked up things from the grocery store I needed. She's managed all the mail. And I feel like I can breathe a sigh of relief when I come home that everything is done. Yeah. And that peace of mind is priceless. Priceless. (laughs) So I got one more for you. If you were not a CEO, what would you be? It's just who I am. I'm so happy and grateful that I get to live a job that I feel like, you know, not only as a lawyer advocating for people, but as a business owner. And that's who I truly am in my core and what lights me up. And I could talk about for hours, obviously you see, but yeah, I think whatever you are, be that in the world. What could our country look like if there were more women owned multi-million dollar companies and law firms? You, dear listener, have come so far already. And that is cause for celebration. Let's keep going together. Let the women like Jennifer serve as examples in your life of what is possible and the growth that you can obtain with the right support. A huge thank you to Jennifer Gore for sharing her story and unbelievable insights with us today. You have been listening to Law Her with me, Sonia Palmer. For more about Jennifer, check out our show notes. And while you're there, please leave us a review or a five-star rating. It really goes a long way for others to find the show. And I will see you next week on Law Her, where we'll shed light on how another of the brightest and boldest women in the legal industry climbed to the top of her field.